I actually wanted to go to Harvard since I was in ninth grade. I was one of those nerdy kids. And uh, I don't know, I just felt like I wanted to be challenged. The pursuit of money was probably one of the big decision points in me deciding to go to business school. The you know, earning ability after going to business school, I felt like I maybe have more options. The original story for going to Harvard was I had a great plan to uh, uh, work for my dad in his business and take over his business in, in South Africa. So it definitely dawned on me that I might make more money in my life if I went to Harvard, got an MBA from there or another institution like it. I was earning six figures straight out of college early in my 20s and saving half of that. And uh, the pursuit of money was a big piece of going to Harvard as well. So I felt like it was an opportunity to double or triple my income and start saving in a serious way. Wealth generation is a major topic uh, for the individuals who go through that program. And I had um, high uh, aspirations for what I could accomplish professionally, and Harvard was a stepping stone for me to achieve that. My name is Allison Balmer. And I'm Greg Balmer, and we live in Nashville, Tennessee. The attitude toward money that uh, Allison and I, I think, brought into our time at school uh, was what we now call a, a spender mindset. Uh, that is, you know, were we to receive additional money, our first thought is how we would use it to do something fun. Um, Allison and I really enjoy travel. Uh, we enjoy nice food. You know, before I started graduate school, I was earning a high income in the private equity industry, and we were spending $1,000 a month dining out at Boston's finest restaurants. We were taking five-star international vacations to Asia and Europe and other locations and had a blast doing it. I just felt comfortable, and so that's where I kind of fell into. I fell into a place where I just spent without thinking about it, but I did recognize that we were living in a way that um, was more than what a lot of people lived. John and I met in a men's Bible study that kicked off this first semester of Harvard Business School. We didn't initially hit it off, not in a bad way, but it's just, He's an engineer, I'm a business guy. We thought about things pretty differently, um, but over time we started to become close through this men's Bible study, ultimately culminating in a, a closer uh, group of uh, men who met every single day for what's called a discussion group. So we were all sitting around in our, our discussion group and we were talking about the Divinity School and the fact that none of us had a theological education in a formal sense, and we all kind of wanted that. Well, it turns out that one of my best friends at the church we attended in Boston is getting his PhD at Harvard Divinity School. So one day, he calls me out of the blue and says, Greg, I have the perfect class for you to take, and it's called God and Money. And I thought to myself, well, I love God and I love money. Sounds pretty natural. We took the class, and actually on the first day of God and Money class, the professor asked everybody, can you all pull out your wallet or purse and get um, a physical piece of money, a dollar bill, and hold it up in the air. And so everybody's doing this, and I look in my wallet, and all I have was $100 bills. And so I held one up, kind of sheepishly, and then I look over at Greg on my left, and he has 100, and nothing but 100s in his wallet as well. So he holds it up, and we're kind of laughing about it, and then we look around the seminary classroom. And so it was an ocean of $1 bills, and the occasional $5 bill. And that was how we set a bad impression on the first day of class. The final term paper for the course was to write a paper on any subject related to God and money. 
So John and I decided to write a paper on how we would think about managing wealth were we ever to be blessed with more than we needed one day. I think over the course of that semester, we had identified the fact that both of us probably had a pretty bad theology of money coming into the class, me as a spender and John as a saver. And so we wanted to understand God's true teaching on the subject. We had ended up with this 80-page paper and we found out later that this paper had gone all over the place and people were reading it and forwarding it and sending us feedback about it. And there seemed to be a level of excitement that shocked us, frankly. We felt like hearing from others that they were excited about it, maybe there's something here and maybe we should keep going with this. So two of us, uh, Walker and I were friends and Andrew kind of invited us all to just sit around and have breakfast the one day. And he kind of threw this vision out there of what an accountability group of men uh, could be. People that we'd want to meet with every morning for that whole semester, but then kind of going forward, people we'd want to stay connected with. And so he came up with this idea for what he called a board of directors for life. We started forming what that group might look like while we were still at Harvard, and then when we graduated, we fell into a cadence of monthly conference calls uh, and then annual retreats uh, where we all gather in one city and spend a long weekend um, having fun for sure, but also doing deep accountability. Uh, it's our annual board meeting uh, in many ways, uh, and it, it's just been a, a life-changing experience. One area that, uh, of accountability that we bring into our group is financial transparency. Um, and you know, it's always been interesting to me that uh, men, I think in particular in accountability, like, will be totally transparent with each other on subjects like you know, pornography, which is old, super personal, but then won't even talk about money at all. <laughs> and so what I would say for me is that being financially transparent has been a tremendous blessing and is actually much less awkward than I initially thought it might be. It's very freeing for six other guys to know everything about your life, including your finances. Big part of the budget question for my wife and I when we graduated was our student loans. My wife and I sat down and made our budget, how much we want to give away, how much we want to consume personally, how much we want to save. And um, our group circulated through email, Excel files that had our budgets in it. And so just having the open conversations and the challenges were, were helpful. As we were moving from Boston to Nashville, we were having a conversation about uh, purchasing a car for me. I was the one who would need one to commute to and from work. And to be honest, I was looking at cool cars. Nothing, nothing overly extravagant, um, but looking at cool cars. And Allison said, Greg, do you really need something like that? And of course the answer is no. And so it occurred to me then that my grandmother, uh, she had a 2002 Mercury Grand Marquis sitting in her garage that had not, not been driven for at least five years. So we went over there, uh, four flat tires, no battery, um, but we called AAA, uh, put some money into that car to get it going again. Uh, it had 46,000 miles on it. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's what I drive now. And uh, I'll say in addition to being a, a a, a good guy on the budget. Uh, the car is also a, a daily reminder that my value is not in my stuff or in how I look in the eyes of, of others. This level of accountability is uncomfortable because we're sinful people. And creating transparency is exceptionally difficult. Um, having the tough conversations with people on the phone, especially those that you want to be calling friends, um, is very challenging some days.
I joined a healthcare startup just uh, in Nashville, Tennessee upon graduating, and we were acquired by a much larger healthcare company. And I had a share of equity in the startup, and so I received a huge payout uh, to the tune of around $450,000 just six weeks into my new job. So when Greg got this windfall, I remember thinking, they have six figures in student loans. And I also know they were home shopping in a hot real estate market. And so a down payment's probably not gonna be a small amount of money. And so one of the details is a lot of the funds were actually being rolled back in to the next deal with the company. And so there was not a lot of cash, it felt, to be generous. And I was wondering, what, what are you gonna, are you just gonna tithe or what's that gonna look like? And he said, even though it's gonna impact the kind of house we can buy, we're gonna give 20% of the gross amount that we've received away. and. They were wrestling, I know, home shopping and looking at, this is gonna make a real difference on what we can actually afford to buy. But we wanna be generous today. We don't wanna wait for some future state to arrive because we might never get there. My first thought was, I see what you're doing here, God. You know, you're, you're testing whether uh, what I am saying I learned about your word and about your vision for my wealth, uh, did, did I really learn it? Will I really faithfully live that out? Uh, and so it was an exciting process for Allison and me to work through how to be faithful with this tremendous unexpected blessing. I think what was exciting when he received that income was my my initial thought wasn't, oh, how are we gonna spend this, you know? And I think that was different than maybe what it would have been before. Um, instead, it was like, we're gonna have a chance to really give um, in a way that actually really might impact others. And this really made it come to life and feel like, wow, we can give a substantial amount um, to something that we're passionate about and really see um, God use that money in a really neat way. You know, I learned two surprising things about giving from my time at Harvard. Uh, one is I think I was so fortunate to come away with an appropriate understanding of uh, the role that generosity plays in wealth. Wealth is such a big topic at Harvard and for me to come out understanding that my objective is not to maximize my own income but rather is to participate alongside God in the fulfillment of His kingdom through my generosity. That was a tremendous surprise. The second is how important community is in all of this. I feel so fortunate to have developed this board of directors for life with six of my best friends. And the fact that we're able to engage in our stewardship alongside one another in community, uh, the way that that has uplifted uh, the way my wife and I think about generosity was also a huge surprise. I think the greatest benefit of the group to my life personally is just having people that have gone through a very similar experience, being able to walk a road with me now as we go into new experiences. That's where this group has really come in, is to have someone kind of six months after I've made a public commitment, to have someone call me and say, how are you doing on that public commitment? You know, I remember when we, when we talked about this group and we were putting the ideas together, we said, you know, you never know what, which one of us are gonna go through a major life-changing personal event. And, you know, it happened a year out of school. A major, major life event happened. And without this group, I, I think that it'd be very dark. So often in our culture, we compare ourselves to others in a negative way. Um, but, you know, Scripture says to spur each other on to good deeds. And so that's the life-giving nature of this group, is I actually can see the best in each of these guys and each of these families. and then feel inspired to go after that myself.
we ought to be generous not because God needs our money. You know, it's not like he's waiting idly by, waiting for me to be generous. He's going to accomplish his purposes no matter what I do. Rather, generosity is better thought of as such a unique opportunity to stand alongside God and participate in the fulfillment of his kingdom.